0: Hello.
1: Hello. Welcome to the first full episode of the Picket Podcast. It's an honor to have been granted the opportunity to babble our nonsense into a microphone for extended periods of time. We always have been unusually skilled <laughs> at accomplishing that. How you been? Ah, uh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah? Well, that's good.
0: Nice, nice day out. Good day to record.
1: Uh- yeah. Certainly. not Nothing else to do because of yeah. the situation.
0: Yeah. I think we should probably start with a little explanation
1: on how this came about. Uh, wouldn't you think so? Sure. I don't want to make it all about us, but yeah, that's important. To get a full grasp of why we started this, we do need to tell a little about ourselves. I'm a born and raised South Texan, and my family hails from Mexico. As a result, I've always been exposed to a very multicultural environment. A dichotomy of values and culture, one uh, I, I think Jake is familiar with as well. And I grew up being taught how America served as a beacon of hope, of opportunity for my family, and for countless others who left their lives behind in search of a grand American promise. Some say this spectacular dream, the same one that allowed my grandparents to provide a better life for their children and in turn myself, is dormant, gone. Destroyed by division and hatred, polarized party politics, I wanted to dive headfirst, along with Jake, into the beautifully confusing world of American current events and history in order to rediscover that same dream. And hopefully, along this journey, do well at helping you achieve the same.
0: I'm from Central California. More specifically, a place that is right near the Central Valley on the coast. I think when I found myself first asking about The American Dream and wanting to know about it, uh, I was in 8th grade. We uh, had been, been reading a novella by John Steinbach. The author had lived in the same area as I. And the bu- novella was of mice and men. And I read that novella hearing the tales of misfortune they had and saw how they still held on to this American dream. And that fascinated me. And I think that's where we both began talking about it.
1: We had discussed multiple times, at you know, in different years, about working together on such a project, trying to find a medium where we could share and talk about what a topic this really is. And uh, then we ended up here with Pickett, and it's very exciting. In these early stages, we're still trying to find our bearing, but I, I think there's yeah, I think there's great promise, and we're both very passionate about about what we're doing here. Well, I think that's enough about us. Let's get into the podcast. We're testing out various formats for the show at the moment to see which variety of segments most appeals to you, the listeners. So if you're terribly repulsed by this arrangement, know that in these early stages, the composition remains ever-evolving. So... It, it'll change if, if it needs to change.
0: Now, for our first item, we'll choose a random town in America and give a little forecast for them. Naturally, we'll begin with the weather for Moscow, Idaho. What's, the, what's this about?
1: Yeah. Okay, so I put this in the script last minute because I thought it would be interesting. Uh, for those of you living in and around Moscow... Uh, you're in luck, at least judging by information retrieved on April 3rd when we were writing this segment, or at least I was writing this segment. Uh, you should anticipate some
0: nice, cool spring weather, with the highs in the low 60s during the day
1: and slight drops into the upper 30s at night. You know, I've, I've never been to Moscow, Idaho. Uh, it sounds like a really interesting place. Uh, I'm not sure if this is the type of weather they favor, uh, but I know for someone... For someone from central California or someone from south Texas, it, it, it's certainly an appealing climate, at least during this type of... I've been in the summertime up a little north of there. I think
0: it's in central Idaho, um, along the, I'd say it's either the Oregon or Washington border. Um, I've I've been to sandpoint Coeur d'Alene area,
1: which I think is north of there during the summer, and I would assume oh. this is favorable. Yeah, what's the weather like in the summer there? Uh, it was quite nice. It was quite warm. I'd actually say it was probably in the eighties. In the eighties. Uh, yeah. Great lake trout. What's the food like there?
0: Good, good, good. Well, there's that. Uh, there's a big lake right there. You can fish on.
1: Oh, yeah, did you go fishing? fishing? Great, great, great time. Well, that's lovely. That's lovely. You know, I, I was looking into, uh, I was looking on the internet, and I found a really fascinating article, uh, about the proper method, uh, by which to to slaughter fish. It's an ancient oh, Japanese tradition yeah. of driving um, well actually'm I'm not I'm not gonna get into it, but it, it's supposed to be the most humane.
0: Yeah, uh, we're gonna cut that segment.
1: We'll see about that. Might just become a fan favorite. I find that unlikely. Now let's jump into our main topic, an integral part of America and the dream as we know it.
0: You're huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. That's an excerpt from the poem which rests at the base of the American symbol many have traveled through to seek their American dream, Lady
1: Liberty herself, first written in 1883. Beautiful words written by Emma Lazarus.
0: Mm -hmm. Or, ain't that America, home of the free, yeah? An excerpt from the classic rock song, Pink Houses, first written by John Cougar in 1983. 1983.
1: Yeah, I'm not familiar with that, but I I suppose if that has to do with the subject matter, that that as well. It's <laughs> a nice classic. Yeah, yeah.
0: Going through his front front door.
1: Yeah, not familiar. As is likely specified by the podcast title, and I would say abundantly clear by Jake's poetic additions, the lofty topic we'll be approaching today is freedom. Are you gonna? Yeah, freedom.
0: Now, I think it's entirely improbable that we will be capable of properly summarizing and discussing such a large topic, but it's undoubtedly clear that it's a critical characteristic of American culture, government, history, and law.
1: The principles of what we consider liberty are irreversibly woven into the fabric of this nation. That's how we end up with tire-wielding citizens like Joe Exotic.
0: Great series, by the way. But when we look at the history of this country,
1: wouldn't you say it's safe to consider this idealization? Certainly, and and Joe Exotic is a wonderful series, by the way. If um... yeah, well, it's Tiger King, not Joe Exotic. He's the focal point of it, though. That's true. It is called Tiger King. Yeah, it, it Tiger King is a great series. Great quarantine binge. Obviously, not sponsored by Netflix because no one knows about us yet. But maybe never will know about us. But yeah. <laughs> Don't know if you should say that yet. (laughs) Might be wishful thinking. Interestingly enough, I'll get back to that in a second. First, Jake, why don't you give us uh, a little, you know, deep dive backstory into the American ideology of liberty and freedom? Uh, yeah, sure.
0: Uh, Most everyone knows, based on the preliminary information imparted to American students throughout elementary and high school, of the revolution which set the U.S., off on its journey as an independent power so the general progression of events is pretty much common knowledge.
1: As well most are familiar with concepts of you know unrepresented taxation the similar reasons for which colonial citizens began to resent British rule.
0: What isn't however so widely understood is that the American split from its empire wasn't so much a radical push for domestic change but instead a rather conservative move British military misfortune during the latter half of the 18th century placed them in a position of economic need. Uh, I think they had just been fighting their war with France. Uh, Colonists, somewhat unaccustomed to drastic English interference, were unsettled by novel taxation and restrictions, which were utilized as a mean of financial recovery on the part of the empire.
1: So, they didn't appreciate it. Um, By this point... Yeah, by this point, it is quite evident that a distinct American culture had already formed, allowing for the further division between government and governed. Freedom was already a fundamental idea of this land.
0: Yeah, Uh, however, as we all know, what began as a feature of colonial life in this region grew into a tangible governmental separation. And it's in the creation of the country that followed that we truly begin to see the long-lasting, systematic effects of this ideology the formation of principles of unalienable rights the expression of these in founding documents like the declaration of independence
1: life liberty and the pursuit of happiness
0: yep uh exactly further down the road we begin to observe legal manifestations of these beliefs with the establishment of the bill of rights certain freedoms which the government promised to protect largely depend on who you were at the time but they reflect the same infringements presented during
1: pre-revolutionary America by Britain. Yeah, and and as you said, it must be noted that these documents, while seemingly taking a relatively inclusive stance, most certainly did not guarantee the same freedoms for all portions of the population. It's like that quote from Animal Farm: "All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others." I, I think, I think, I think that's it. And at the end of the day. It's those in charge who are going to draft laws which favor and secure their own position. The Constitution contemplates no class and recognizes no group. It broadly includes all the people, with specific recognition for none. The system of slavery and the eventual Japanese internment uh, during World War II were without a doubt, um, in violation of those principles of inalienable rights, uh, which were set out very early in the founding of the nation.
0: The clip we just played is from President Warren G. Harding, a man widely considered to have been far ahead of public opinion on issues of equality under the law. His term as president ended in 1923 it would still nearly be half a century until the Equal Rights Act was passed.
1: To this day, of course, there remains great inequality for previously and continually marginalized segments of the population.
0: In addition to tremendous discrimination against racial minorities, the fundamental liberties of women have consistently and egregiously been violated throughout U.S. history. It was no simple feat for trailblazing citizens like the suffragettes to alter this course. The same goes for all those other remarkable members of oppressed groups who rose up in order to defend their freedom. Well, now that we've uh, laid that lampy foundation of our
1: modern day concepts of American freedom, let's talk about what's been going on in recent years. I couldn't find an interesting story for this week, but you have told me you have something interesting to share. I've heard little bits and pieces, something about Oregon. I'm just now see- I'm just now seeing it in the script. Yeah, this is the first time uh Lorenzo has seen this in the script. I I've, I've never seen this before. It it looks like a lot and I don't I don't I don't take responsibility for whatever's to follow. So he'll probably ask some questions that you all have. Uh yeah, hope hopefully. <laughs>
0: Uh-oh. I'm gonna do, let's take a quick break here, okay, just so I can take a deep breath, it's a lot. <sighs> this story takes place in January of 2016 in Harney County, Oregon. In this county, there is Malheur National Wildlife Refuge, land designated for the bird populations and habitats. 187,000 acres of it. Things take a much more calm tone in the refuge quiet, snowy place at this time in January. Ask anyone in the nearby town of Burns. Not much happens around here. Then, in the next morning, once the people had cooked their breakfast and turned on their TVs fine, this small town and the refuge are on national TV after an armed right-wing militia has taken control of the wildlife refuge.
1: Oh, this kind of reminds me of Joe Exotic.
0: Yeah, in a way. Or at least Uh, least what he threatened to do. Yeah. There definitely will be parallels to what he threatened and Waco. This group was led by Ammon Bundy, the the leader of the Citizens for Constitutional Freedom, a right-wing group. Now, the purpose of this occupation was for the control and use of federal land, which the militants wanted to be transferred to private ownership so ranchers could use this land. They think that the federal government is obligated by the Constitution to have this land free for ranchers. The thing that kicked off this capturing of the reserve was two ranchers who had been arrested for federal land arson. Uh, And they had been, I believe they were found guilty.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: On uh, January 2nd, the occupiers had claimed they had around 150 militants in the reserve. But reporters on the scene have reported only about 25 at most. The feeling and burns
1: are There's positive. a bit of a disparity there. Yeah. <laughs> Between the f- 150 and 25, trying to... hmm Uh, the feelings and burns
0: are positive at the time. Many ranchers are happy that the issues about the land are raised, and many think the land should be free for grazing of cattle and various other ranch tasks. hmm Uh, so now it's been, uh, about a week, and Ammon and his convoy head about 30 miles to the outskirts of town with several armed guards. Here they stop on an empty road, except until Sheriff David Ward and multiple armed deputies come in a convoy as well, where they each walk out to meet each other, both on edge. Sheriff Ward offers safe passage out of Oregon. Uh, Now, another thing I forgot to uh, mention is, most of these members of the militia weren't actually from Harney County, or Oregon as a whole. Most of them were from out of town. Ammon himself was from uh, Nevada. I'm not quite sure Uh where, but... uh, Bundy then refused this offer as the two parties leave the site. Reporters have swarmed the compound far and wide to try to interview one of the leaders to get the chance. But one gets to speak to Ryan
1: Bundy, the brother of Ammon. That reporter? Any connection to Ted Bundy? Nope. Is that a dumb question to ask? That was sort of a dumb question. Is it spelled differently? Uh, no, it's not, actual. Oh.
0: Okay. Um, that reporter was an 11-year-old for a school newspaper. Ryan states that they are here to help your families out, even though the fact was that the two ranchers that they said they were advocating for denounced the occupation on the first day. People had gotten fed up with the occupation by now. Ward holds a town hall where he asks the people to raise their hands if they want these folks gone. And they sit back and watch as nearly everyone raises their hand, sick of the occupation, sick of the reporters that have swarmed their town, their small town now a focal point of American news. Law enforcement had uh, ramped up the measures to contain the militia on about the, I'd say, the fifth week. Now, the FBI was on the ground in Hardin County. The group had been freely going in and out of the reserve to get supplies, as the sheriff's office and law enforcement have allowed it. But this will take a sudden turn. Some music here while I take my breath. January 26th, the main leaders of the occupation are driving to the nearby Grant County, where they've been invited to speak at a meeting of ranchers. When state and federal authorities hear of this, they take the chance to intercept them on the road. Multiple leaders, including Amon Ryan, surrender peacefully, but this is where sources differ on what happened. Some accounts allege that one militia leader, a native Arizona, the Lavoie Thinicum, shouts and taunts them and that he attends to ignore the orders of the federal uh, officers and state government and drives off while he is followed and chased until he crashes into the side of the road, where state troopers then say he went to reach for a weapon, and he was shot fatally as a consequence of this. Harney had become a strange place in the aftermath of this. With the leaders arrested, there still remain a few militants, but everyone knew this had been over. So, in February, the last four surrendered to law enforcement. When we talk about this story, it serves as a reminder of something we had talked about earlier: of where freedom crosses a line, and it brings up a greater question: Should freedom be controlled? And if it's so,
1: is it even freedom anymore? Uh, any questions? Uh, that's a that's a deep question about a an in a, a unique story. Yeah, I think. Uh.
0: I only touched uh-huh. the top of this. There's probably much more in depth. You can research on yourself.
1: Um, the, uh, organ. So what? Oregon what peoples. motivated? What motivated them to come to this town in the first place? Well, like I had said, uh,
0: their whole cause to begin with. This is a broader thing. In the 70s and 80s, there was something called I think the Sagebrush Rebellion is what they called it. Uh-huh. It's these far right militia people uh pacific something three percenters um they wanted all this federal land that had been used for the environment to go to ranchers and such which i mean interesting they wanted this for free as they thought the constitution stated uh-huh. that this yeah it's freedom they get this land and yeah, that ties oh sorry yeah and what kicked them off their whole main like thing was two ranchers who had uh i'm not sure if they were sort of in a state of protest had got arrested for federal land arson and it started with them protesting until
1: they decided to go take the reserve wow yeah so that uh, that ties into a lot of really uh really pivotal concepts there you know um there is an aspect of uh, Uber capitalism, uh, and a push for uh, liberty to an extent that yeah. that compromises government capacity. If that's logical.
0: Yeah, that whole question of do we control freedom or is that an oxymoron on itself?
1: Yeah. Well, controlled freedom is an oxymoron, certainly. That will have to do it for today's installment of Picket. Stay tuned for our next episode on health in America
0: and the impacts of COVID-19, where we'll interview some local officials trying to get a better understanding on how their actions directly impact your life during
1: these trying times. See you on the Picket fence with us next time.